When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, what's up? This is Chris Gillibo. I got something fun for you today. Fun and different. Now over here, I'm getting ready to go out around the world. I'm heading to South Asia and beyond. So it's a busy day for me, but more importantly for you, Today we have our second extended cut. Now, if you're new, or also because it's been 30 episodes since we did the first one, this episode is a very different format. So I like the short format of the show. I know a lot of you do too. But a few people have also asked for some more in-depth explanation about some things. So in this episode, which we call extended cut, and other occasional ones like this, which will happen about once a month, we'll look at one of those specific topics in more detail. So you may want to save this episode so you can come back to it later because there's a lot of information in it. And by the way, what you'll learn today has been directly influenced by your input. I'm learning as I go along, just like you. And I noticed in the first few Cytosol School workshops I did, I would make a few comments about websites and platforms like Upwork, Fiverr, Etsy, and I would just kind of go on. But I noticed that everyone was taking lots of notes. And then in the follow-up questions, people would go back to them. So I realized this is something that a lot of you want to know more about. So today I'm going to talk about starter ideas and starter platforms. Now, I still believe in the long term, it's more important for ideas to become offers and products and services that earn money for you, not just when you're working on them. So as you gain experience, a lot of people find that eventually they want to transition off these starter platforms and focus more on cultivating their own audience, building their own website or whatever the case may be. But I totally realize, and I've been there myself many times, lots of people just want to get started right now. And I totally get it. So that's what this extended cut is about. Nine starter ideas for your first hustle. All right, so here we go. And all of the links and resources that I mentioned over the next few minutes will be linked up on sidehustleschool.com slash starter, S-T-A-R-T-E-R. And I'll also try to keep this page updated. So if something changes, which it probably will, you can find the current info there. And we're going to break these platforms and ideas down into four categories, providing a service, selling products or other items, offering teaching, tutoring, or some kind of advice, and design in the arts. And let's start with Fiverr.com, which is actually Fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R.com. I've mentioned it a couple times, but it was mostly featured in episode five about the guy who used a $100 microphone to make more than $8,000. Now, he definitely had a great success story. But Fiverr bills itself as freelance services for the lean entrepreneur, which kind of clues you into their market of low-priced services of all kinds. So if there's any kind of service you can think about offering to people, like that guy in episode five kind of stumbled into voiceover work after trying his hand at a few other things, well, this is where you can go to offer that service 
and connect with potential clients. All of these platforms have pros and cons. Good thing about Fiverr is it's really easy to start. And if you've never done anything like this before, it's probably not going to be that difficult to get your first client, at least if you have something that you can offer that people are willing to pay for. The thing is, they're probably not going to pay very much. Now, the site takes its name because a lot of the services offered begin their price at just $5. Now, there is a way to do some upsells and add-ons, but the point is it's kind of almost baked into the ecosystem of Fiverr that everything is really cheap. So totally fine to explore. And as I said, some people can be very successful with it, but I really do think of it as a starter platform for most people who can hopefully graduate eventually to something else. Now, next, let's talk about Upwork.com. Upwork.com is kind of like Fiverr, but without the $5 price. It's a global marketplace for the exchange of freelance work. So there are all kinds of freelancers offering services and bidding on projects and all kinds of clients posting projects in which you can bid and compete with other freelancers. You can also post your portfolio and people can hire you directly outside of the bidding process. And this network tends to focus on more technical skills such as web development, other programming, graphic design, but also accounting, writing, even things like customer service and being a virtual assistant. So there are listings and opportunities at a variety of skill levels. And as I said, overall, it has a much higher average price point than a network like Fiverr. At the same time, you're going to experience higher competition with people from all over the world, including lots of folks in countries who are able to provide advantageous pricing compared to typical rates earned in North America or Europe. But again, some people are able to do well here. Some people are actually able to create a whole career out of listings on Upwork. But more commonly, it will be something that you experiment with as you go on to something else. Now, if you visit their site, be sure to select Become a Freelancer in the upper right corner, since most of their marketing is directed to people wanting to pay for services. And the same is true with a lot of these platforms that I'll talk about. If you just look at their homepage and their marketing copy, it's actually oriented toward buyers or clients, not sellers or providers of services. So you want to make sure you find the section of the site that is applicable to that. Next, let's talk about Amazon.com, specifically about being a seller on Amazon. Now, there are a couple of different ways to do this. Last week, we talked about a program called Fulfilled by Amazon, as well as a new one called Merch by Amazon. If you go back to episode 19, it was a very popular story about a guy named Trevor, who's a government analyst and runs a six-figure side hustle in addition to his job that's focused entirely on buying and reselling products using Fulfilled by Amazon. Now, this is an entire industry So in some ways, it's not quite a starter idea. There is a fair amount to learn to do it properly. But for the starter version, you can create a simple seller account on Amazon and then list books for sale or any other item with an ISBN. And this is really simple. When it comes to the fulfilled by Amazon process, you ship to Amazon's warehouse, or if you're drop shipping, the company you purchase from ships there. But with this version, the simplified sell on Amazon version, you actually do the shipping. So if you had a set of books for sale, for example, and someone purchased them on Amazon, you would get an email notice with that information and the customer's address, and then you would physically mail the item. And Amazon would deposit the money in your bank account. So to do this on Amazon, I'll include the link in the notes, of course. But what you want to do is register as sell as an individual, because the process to sell as a professional, quote unquote, is a little bit more extensive. You can start as selling as an individual if you're selling fewer than 40 items a month. And if it actually works out for you, you enjoy it, you want to upgrade you can easily change later. I haven't talked about it a lot on the show, but there are actually a lot of people earning a good side income, and at least in a few cases, a decent regular income, simply buying books and other items in bulk from yard sales, flea markets, closeout stores, etc., and then listing them on Amazon for a profit. To truly master that takes time and investment, and it might be better to put that time and investment toward learning more about reselling in general 
and the Fulfilled by Amazon program, which as I said, is more complex, but offers more opportunity. But when you're just getting started, being an individual seller on Amazon is really simple and you can do it tomorrow. Now, several times on the show, I have mentioned Etsy, which is the world's largest handcrafted marketplace. If you make any kind of arts, crafts, woodwork, metalwork, jewelry, pottery, all kinds of other stuff, as long as it is handcrafted, you can sell it on Etsy. I believe it was the first week of the show, probably episode six or so, told the story of Julie, a single mom who made more than $15,000 from a unique astrology calendar that she designed. By the way, not every single item that's listed on Etsy has to be handcrafted. So in that example, Julie designed the calendar, but then of course there was some sort of printing and reproduction process. So it's not like every single person is making every single listing unique. So it is totally possible to do something like that where you make something once and then you duplicate it in some form and sell it there. It is a very creative marketplace. Uh, They also do have a lot of buyers and sellers, which is good. Some other platforms that have tried to compete with Etsy tend to attract more sellers, which is fine, except as a seller, you want to be on a platform with a lot of buyers. Obviously, that's much better. Now, some people are actually able to scale their business quite a bit on Etsy. The majority don't. But every once in a while, you hear a story of of somebody who has a huge success. Uh, A while back on my blog, I wrote up a story of a woman who makes more than a million dollars a year on Etsy. And this was a little bit controversial because her items were definitely not handcrafted, at least not uniquely. And that's also pretty rare. But as I said, it does happen. And if nothing else, it is a great starter platform if you are a maker of any kind. All right, so let's transition a bit and talk about teaching, tutoring, communicating information, sharing knowledge, anything you do that takes something you know about and helps other people acquire the same information. And the first one we'll look at is Wyzant. Wyzant.com, W-Y-Z-A-N-T, or W-Y-Z-A-N-T.com if you prefer. Now, this site calls itself the largest network of experienced tutors. And this is tutoring for people of all ages. So naturally, a lot of the focus is on high school, college, or university tutoring, but that's not all. So for example, in episode 29, I told you the story of Dan in Colorado, who was able to make $80 to $120 an hour tutoring people in database administration. That was something he had a background in. It's what he did for his work. And it was a skill that a lot of people lacked, but they needed to have it in professional settings. So it was very valuable to them. And Dan actually used that tutoring as a lead generation tool for something even more profitable which was helping those companies or organizations that his students came from actually help set up those databases himself. So naturally, some common subjects on this tutoring site are math, science, and English, but there's also standardized test preparation, which is a huge industry of itself, and several other topics as well. On that site, you can apply to be a tutor, and you make a profile, and you can set your own rate. So you might want to start relatively low to get some experience, and then raise your rate as you become more comfortable and as the demand for your service increases. Another site, another platform is called Clarity.fm. Now, this site is more about the exchange of specific advice and specific information instead of general tutoring about a topic. And it has an interesting pricing model where clients are charged by the minute instead of the hour. So the whole idea is if you have a specific problem, you can contact an expert on Clarity.fm and talk to them for as long as you need, and you're only going to pay by the minute. This platform also features a lot of topics, but it does seem kind of oriented around digital marketing, technology, social media strategy, SEO, things like that. And it seems like the lowest you can charge is something like a dollar a minute. And many people are pricing much higher than that. So I saw that my friend Chris Brogan, for example, who is a brilliant business strategist, helps companies with growth. His rate is $8.33 a minute. 
I'm not sure how much of a percentage that Clarity.fm takes, and I can't imagine that there are a ton of people who want to pay an hourly rate based on more than $8 a minute. But still, even if he has a couple of consultations a month, that's pretty good. And he can do it on his own time. He can set when he's available. It doesn't have to be totally disruptive. Now, both of these examples, Wiseant.com and Clarity.fm, they are all about helping people one-on-one. So when you have a tutoring session, you're helping one person. If you're giving advice through Clarity.fm, you're helping one person. The next two starter ideas are more about teaching groups of people. So potentially an unlimited number of people who can learn from you. So with that in mind, let's look at Skillshare.com. Now, Skillshare is a new partner of the show, so you might hear their ads at some point. But in the ads, I usually talk about their service as a user or learner and all the different things you can learn on Skillshare, which is awesome. But you can also apply to teach with Skillshare. Now, when I say apply, it's actually a very open, democratic platform. And there are some comparable sites like Creative Live and Udemy, where it's kind of invitation only. But with Skillshare, they truly are democratizing this process so that anyone can teach a class. And if you go to their site and click Become a Teacher, you'll learn more about how it works. They say that their top instructors are earning $40,000 a year, which of course is not a bad starter hustle at all. But in some ways, I almost liked even more that they say their average is $3,000 a year, which is actually pretty good for something you create once and then earns for you long term. So the idea is that you're going to create a video-based training, usually around 30 to 40 minutes, broken up into some different modules or segments. And then when people register for that class, which they can do when they're members of Skillshare, you get paid a royalty. And their classes fall into a wide variety of topics, including design, photography, business, entrepreneurship, film, fashion, music, technology. So I know they're a partner of the show, uh, but I always have editorial control. And I really do think there's a lot of possibility with this. So if you have teaching skills, I'd encourage you to check it out. Now, I also mentioned that Skillshare is video-based. Another service called Highbrow, which is gohighbrow.com, is all about written content. And it delivers courses through a series of daily emails. So with Skillshare, you might create 30 to 40 minutes of video content broken up into something like 7 to 10 modules. With Highbrow, you're going to create a series of written content broken up into something like 6 to 10 emails that are sent to people on consecutive days. So it's a very similar model, just with a different medium of teaching. And if you're a writer, you can write a course instead of recording it by video. And then when people sign up through the premium membership, you can earn royalties through it. You do have to apply to become a teacher. um, But like Skillshare, it's not highly competitive. It is different from some other platforms. They mostly want to make sure you have a good topic. You're going to see it through. It's not super relevant if you don't have a ton of followers or any other kind of existing social media success. So let's shift gears now and talk a bit about design and the arts. Now, I already mentioned Etsy, that handcrafted marketplace. Another platform that we featured on the show is Creative Market, which is just creativemarket.com. Now, I forget the number of the episode, and we had a story a while back. I forget the number of the episode for this one, but it was about a student who had created a series of resume templates that actually turned into passive income, and he was earning more than $400 a month with those templates on creativemarket.com. And that kind of gives you a clue about what kind of things do well on this site. Creative Market is essentially about design assets. So things like graphics, fonts, themes, photos, those resume templates, all starting at a low price of $2 and of course going up from there. And the site pays royalties or a percentage of the sale to all those people who make and contribute these design assets. It is a bit of a crowded space. There are a lot of people uploading a lot of design assets and most items don't tend to sell very much. But the ones that do succeed tend to be pretty evergreen. 
meaning that they sell over and over as time goes by, which is really nice, just like those resume templates that I told you about. Now, I do want to mention that Creative Market really is for designers and for people with design skills. So if you don't know how to make fonts, for example, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to Google how to make fonts and then make a font and upload it for sale. If you did that and it was successful, it would make for a great story. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say your odds of success doing that would not be very high. So great resource for independent designers. Now, last on my list for you today, and more directly related to the arts, is a platform called Society6, which is just society6.com. And this is all about helping artists productize their work and sell to a wider worldwide audience. And their pitch is that selling your artwork as a product on Society6 is as simple as making a post, except you make money from it. All you have to do is post your artwork to make it immediately available for sale on a variety of products. When you sell a product, we'll produce it, package it, and ship it for you so that you can focus on making more art. So I think that's a great sales pitch. They do a very good job promoting their platform, which they should. I don't think it's quite that simple for a lot of people. Again, I want to make sure I take you step-by-step through things and let you know the pros and cons. So the potential negative here with Society6 and a few other sites like it is one of great saturation and an extremely crowded market. So if you're an artist and you upload images of your work and then put it on mugs and t-shirts and iPhone cases, which is what Society6 will do for you, it's great because there's no risk. You're not actually paying for all those things to be printed and manufactured, but it is pretty surprising to have an immediate success doing that. It really doesn't happen magically and and much more common with these sites, uh, you have to work for it and you have to be the one that's driving traffic to your listings. In fact, that's where it tends to work really well. I have an episode coming up with an artist who's making an extra $1,000 a month from his Society6 channel. And so it's great for him because he's sending people there to buy those iPhone cases, which he has no interest in manufacturing and stocking and shipping himself. So if you're already selling artwork elsewhere, this is a great additional channel to sell different kinds of items. Now, I mentioned low risk. With pretty much all these platforms, there's no long-term negative. If you try out one of these ideas and it doesn't work for you, Well, all you've invested is the time, and you probably learned something along the way that you can apply to your next attempt or your next experience. So even though I think it's better in the long term to turn your ideas into assets, it's also true that these platforms really can play a positive role in your journey. And that's why I wanted to highlight them for you here. I'm also going to give you a few general tips that will apply regardless of which platform you're using and which idea you're pursuing. But first, I want to tell you what's not on the list. Now, there are some things I didn't include just because we didn't have time. And I'll link them up on sidehustleschool.com slash starter. But I purposely did not include things like working for TaskRabbit, driving for Uber or Lyft or another rideshare service, or similar things that a lot of people consider to be side hustles. For the most part, I think those are part-time jobs. And there's nothing wrong with having a part-time job, but you're certainly not building any asset there. You may be getting a little bit of experience, but there's also very little creativity or room for interpretation or adaptation on your part. So that's why, in my opinion, I think you should aim higher. All right, so a few general tips. I'll go really quickly. If the platform you're using has a review system or a rating system, it's really important to establish a good rating for yourself right away. Nobody wants to buy from someone with no rating or even worse, a mediocre rating. So as part of that, if you're providing a service on a site like Fiverr or Upwork or something else, the first time or two you do it, you might want to charge less than you'd normally be comfortable with just so you can quickly get experience and hopefully get a good review from it. Then as you go on, you can raise your price to a level you're more comfortable with. And related to that, wherever you can, try to under-promise, over-deliver. If you actually did take notes as we went along, you may have noticed that the lesson is called Nine Starter Ideas, but I actually gave you 10 ideas. I liked calling the episode Nine Starter Ideas. It just sounded better. 
but I didn't want to leave out my 10th idea. So I just threw that in as well. Wherever possible, don't sell a commodity. Don't sell something that everybody else can sell. And it's just a matter of who's selling it for the lowest price. Having some kind of differentiation wherever possible really is critical. Unless you legitimately do have a way of getting access to something at a lower price than everyone else does. And then you might be able to win the price war. But otherwise, the price war is usually one that you're going to lose. So it's best to just not play it at all. Whether it's a service or a product or something in the arts, specificity is much better than generality. Don't be a business coach. Don't be a life coach. Figure out how you can really and truly help people and get specific about what that service is and base your offer from that. Your odds of success are going to be much higher. So I know that's a lot of information. I hope it's been helpful to you. As I said, you may want to go back and listen again. And over here, I'm heading to Sri Lanka, which long ago was my 100th country. And aside from a quick transit there recently, I actually haven't been back in something like five or six years. So I will look forward to watching this episode go out to the world and to you from there. Now, because inspiration is better when combined with action, as you know, if you enjoyed this episode, I have a challenge for you. I want you to take on the challenge of registering for at least one of these platforms that I talked about and seeing the process through. I'm pretty sure that all of them are free and there really is no downside. Worst case scenario is it doesn't work out, but you'll learn something. The links to all those resources I talked about and a few of them that I didn't are at sidehustleschool.com slash starter, S-T-A-R-T-E-R. Be sure you check that out. You are the reason I make this show. Let me know what happens. I'll be cheering you on all along the way. And of course, I hope to see you every day here on Side Hustle School. I'm Chris Gillibo, signing off.